program is a study guide. It looks like this. And we are in our series, Parables. And uh, what a perfect uh, opportunity for us to see as we come to a place in our story where we come to a very familiar parable. And the familiar parable that I speak of is the, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And many of us have heard this, many of us have heard it many different times, and uh, many of us have not, and there are some who are hearing this parable for the first time. But a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual truth. And so we're looking to find the spiritual truth and how that applies in 2019. I think we just had a chance to see it visually, what it looks like, amen? Um, But as we come to this uh, unique place We come to the story, and every time we look at a story, we look at context. What happens before, what happens after, so we can kind of get a big picture of what God is saying. And um, this parable is unique because uh, a lawyer, a man who practices law, a religious man, comes to Jesus, and he makes a very dangerous assumption, and it's the very first uh, uh, fill-out fill in in your in your um in your guide today and he makes the huge assumption in the story that a person must do something to attain obtain eternal life and so right away he's already off track because he comes with this he says and and behold a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? I love Jesus because he always answers a question with a question. He said, what's written in the law? And uh, and how do you read it? That's even more important. So he basically says, what's written in this book and how do you read it? Because how you read it determines how you interpret it. And how you interpret it determines how you live it or don't live it. So, so, so So he says to him, he says, how do you read it? And he answered... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Understanding that without God's help, it can't be accomplished. You cannot fulfill everything in the law without Jesus. And so he understands that, so, so he says to him, and, and, and as he's moving on, he says to him, and the man wants to right away justify himself by saying to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Basically, he wants to know what the minimum is. What is the minimum? What do I, what's the least I can do? And so, so he finds himself, he makes this assumption, and, and although Jesus could have began to talk about salvation... He didn't talk about salvation. He began to talk about relationships. And he began to talk about this L word, love. Imagine that. You you would think Jesus would take this time to say, believe in the Son of God and you'll have life. But he didn't do that. He focused on relationships. He focused on a, a, a relationship with God and a relationship with people. Very unusual, isn't it? That he starts there and says, well, do you love God and do you love people? And so, so as he, we're looking at this, Jesus answers this question and then he directs the man to an authority that they both agree upon. That's truth. 
He directs them to the law. Now, in our society today, 2019, that's not easy because many people do not believe this is the Word of God. Most people believe it's an archaic book that is filled with old rules. This is, what, this is what's taught. This is what is given. This is what, even though it's the most accurate history book in all the world all the world, and even though there are 5,000 artifacts to document this, and the closest documented other history book or writing only has 250 fragments, and we have 5,000 fragments for this book, the other books are still accepted and taught as truth. So, so we have a challenge for us. So, so as we come to this place, he, he knows that he does it. And then he asks him something. He says, okay, so you have the law, but how do you interpret the law? Because I, I say the same thing to you and me in 2019. Okay, you have the Bible, but how do you interpret the Bible? Because you can make the Bible say whatever you want. It's called proof texting. It's called eisegesis. People do it all the time to prove their point. Christians do it all the time to fight with each other. Instead of actually doing the proper exegesis and then accepting the truth, they do the eisegesis to read into the text what is not there, and then they make their argument on that just because they want to be right, not righteous. It's the way it is. So Jesus, what I love about Jesus is he avoids an argument and he puts himself in a position of evaluating the person's answer instead of the person evaluating his answer. So Jesus puts himself says, listen, I don't want to fight with you. Let's just, let's take a minute and see how you answer. He said, well, how do you interpret it? And then Jesus says, you've answered right. Because what does the guy do? He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. So he quotes right from the book. So Jesus says, that's really great. Jesus affirms him and says, good answer. Your answer is right. He knows how to give the proper scriptural answer. Just like many churchgoers know how to give the proper scriptural answer. The application? Another story. Right? And so, so Jesus begins to push him to understand this kind of love requires more than an emotional feeling. You can say you love God, but do you show that you love God? That's the question. We can say, I love God. But... Do you show it? You can say you love your spouse. Do you show it? You can say you love your kids. Do you show it? You can say you love... There's a lot of different things. But the question is, how does that apply? How is it lived out? And the question is, do you practice what you preach? And so understanding the man was an educated man, this man already knew that he couldn't keep the law because they were waiting for the Messiah... In order to help. So Jesus is already appealing to him. And he looks at him. And, and he helps him to understand. That, that you have to keep the law. Which is impossible. And you probably don't want to do it anyway. And so, so as he's working through this. The, the guy thinks. Okay well let me see. I need to just do the minimum. So who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now he's saying this because in the Greek. The neighbor means someone who is near. In the Hebrew, the neighbor, the neighbor means someone you're in association with. But that's a weak interpretation of what Jesus was saying. See, because again, Jesus asked him, how do you interpret, right? Amen. 
And so here we are with this interpretation. So then Jesus is actually, because see, this guy wanted to know, who don't I have to love? I don't want to love Samaritans. I don't want to love Romans. I don't want to love foreigners. I don't want to love this person or that person. I just need to know who I, who I have to love. And everybody else, you know? And so, so he's looking right there, and Jesus is trying to help him understand. So Jesus begins to tell this story. And so Jesus wants him to know who his neighbor really is. So Jesus tells him this story, and he says to him, he says, A man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite came, and when he came, he Uh, to that place he saw him he passed on the other side but a Samaritan now understand when this guy hears Samaritan he hears villain he hears somebody who's no good he hears the an awful awful racial term half-breed and he doesn't see any problem with that you see you can have the law but not love if you don't have love then you can say awful things without any problem. And so he says, so he went and bound him. Uh, He said, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. Compassion. Now, right away, this guy's never associated the word Samaritan and compassion, ever. Never. And so he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, And he set him on his own animal. Jesus didn't make a mistake by making him understand. He put him in his car. Okay? And he he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out money from his own pocket to Denaria and gave it to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay it when I come back. Now we get to the meat of the story. And Jesus, he looks back at this lawyer and he says to him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, not the Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. He was still so taken aback by his awfulness by his inability to say that there was good in someone or a group of people that he found no value in, he still couldn't say Samaritan, which reveals the hardness of his own heart. He said, the one who showed mercy, and Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. That blew his mind. You see, Jesus, he's working on this story and he's trying to help them understand a spiritual truth in an earthly story. So the first thing, Jesus describes a priest. This is number two. He describes a priest and the person who absolutely knows the law and he shows no love 
and no compassion. Of course, when this guy hears the word priest, he's thinking, surely you can put the word Christian in there. You can put the word pastor, minister in there. And some people think that the pastor's job is to do the ministry. But actually, the pastor's job is to equip God's people for acts of service, which makes all of us ministers. All of us ministers. So a minister... A believer, a follower, supposed follower of Jesus, a person who absolutely knows the law, he comes and he shows no love and no compassion. Not an ounce. Matter of fact, passes on the other side because he doesn't want to get involved. Right? And so he wastes no time. Jesus didn't even waste too much time on it. He just simply came to him and helped him to know that by his nature, he was supposed to be a person of compassion, desiring to help others the same way we as believers are supposed to be a people of compassion, going to love each other. Doesn't matter what color they are. Doesn't matter what, none of that matters. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter what socioeconomic, doesn't matter any of those things. But unfortunately, love was not a word that required action in his life. Unfortunately, compassion was absent. So then he comes along and Jesus continues and Jesus introduces the third character in the story. And Jesus introduces a Levite. That, again, is someone who serves in the church, someone who's building up the church, someone who provides everything you need for worship. He provides everything you need. That's what the Levite did. The Levite kept everything ready and in order for worship. What is worship? Worship is worship. It's love toward God, right? So what happens? Here it comes, number three. Jesus describes a Levite, the person who, uh, yet again, absolutely knows God's law and shows no love or compassion. Again, same principle, two different so-called believers, two different so-called followers, and he failed to show any compassion or any love and passed on the other side again. Unbelievable. So then we come to the fourth aspect of the story. And Jesus describes a Samaritan as someone least likely to know God's law, yet show great love and compassion on a stranger. Jesus describes someone, a Samaritan. In this case, it could be an unbeliever. In our, in our case, it could be a non-churchgoer. It could be a non-follower of Jesus. And yet, and they don't even know the Bible says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. But they just know they're supposed to love even strangers. And sometimes they do a better job than the church. Right? The person who comes, he's the least likely we don't know if the, here's the other thing in the story that Jesus leaves out. We don't know if the person in the story is Jew or Gentile because it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter. We don't know if the Samaritan stopped. Why? We just know he saw someone hurt. He didn't care. He didn't, hey, tap, tap, tap. Are you from Jerusalem or are you from Samaria? 
Tell me so I can decide. He did not care. He saw someone broken and hurting and in need of grace. He saw a person in dire need and he decided that he was going to expend his resources. So he pours wine to disinfect and oil to soothe the pain. And he begins to minister. He put the man on his own animal. He takes him. He shows common decency. And then he goes above and beyond because he pays for the man, stays there, takes care of him. Then he says, I have to leave, but I'm going to leave him in your care. Here's some money to provide for him. And when I come back, if there's anything that he spent, I'll square up with you. He treated him like a family member, didn't he? Had no idea who the guy was. The Samaritan saw his neighbor as anyone in need. I'm going to say that again. The Samaritan saw his neighbor as anyone in need. Anyone in need. And it's important for you and I to understand that and see that. And what Jesus is actually showing, number five, is Jesus was showing a great difference between those who know the law and those who actually follow the law with their lifestyle that's what jesus is trying to communicate jesus is communicating to them and he's helping them to understand there's a difference between those who know and those who follow and that's the truth for us today because Jesus, uh, because Jesus is communicating this, he draws a strong contrast to those who knew and those who followed. Once again, the man's, the man's answer, it reveals the hardness of his heart. He couldn't even come to say that the Samaritan was the one that showed mercy. He can't bring himself to say the Samaritan was a good man. Even though he did show mercy, his hate for his Samaritan neighbors, which they are neighbors, his hate for his neighbors was so strong, he couldn't even respond in the face of what Jesus is saying. Then Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. Do like the guy you hate. Imagine that. Meaning, start living what the law says. Start living it. As Jesus ends the encounter, He tells the man to follow the example, the conduct. Show compassion when you encounter someone in your everyday activities. Be merciful, be loving, regardless of race or religion. Don't put a criteria on your love. If they need what we have, supply the need. Give generously and freely without expectation of return. It's impossible. It's impossible for the lawyer to fulfill love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbors yourself and walk past someone broken and possibly going to die. It shows we have the law, but not love. Unfortunately, it's the condition of the heart. It's what it is. It's a heart condition. And only Jesus can take a heart of stone and put, turn it into a heart of flesh. The truth of the matter is, humans, when left on our own, many times we do the wrong thing, don't we? Don't we? For being honest. 
Many times we fail to meet the minimum of the law. Thank God for Jesus. That's why I need Jesus every day. We cannot hope. We cannot hope and do nothing. We have to hope and do something. Right? We hope this world is a better place. We'll do something about it. We love. We encourage. We strengthen. We hope that this lawyer saw and there was a realization that he would come past the desire to justify himself. Which is what we're good at. We're good at that, aren't we? Justifying ourselves. I have the right to be angry. You don't know. Exactly. And so we justify our behavior. Even if it's against the word, who cares? I have the right. And I'll show you and I'll make this say what you want it to say. I'll eisegete and proof text this to death to make it a message of hate. Because it makes me feel better. It makes me feel justified. You're going to tell me that kind of person's my neighbor? Who are you, Jesus? So now you need to take that villain in your life and plug in Samaritan. Oh, now everybody's mad at Pastor Mike now. (laughs) Nobody likes Pastor Mike no more. Trust me, that lawyer didn't like Jesus either. Truth's truth. You don't have to like it. All I want to know is why are you mad? That's all I want to know. You mad at me or you mad at you? So the parable that we, the lesson that we get, the The truth that we get is this. We're to set aside our prejudice to show love and compassion to all people. All people. Doesn't matter. Is it easy? Absolutely not. That's why it's supernatural. We need God. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. it. Is it to your benefit? Yes. Our neighbors are any and all. We're God's creatures. God's creatures. We're God's creation. Anybody we encounter, you will never lock eyes with someone that doesn't matter to God. You take your worst villain, and if they're still breathing, Jesus loves them. Deal with it. Deal with it. I asked a, a lady who wanted to stand in judgment of God just recently. She said, how can you serve a deity that lets bad things happen to good people, like torture? How can you stand there and tell me that you love a God like that, who's doing nothing about torture? How can you do that? And after a wonderful, gentle conversation, I asked her, may I ask you a question? I said, now don't get your feelings. So she said, no, you're a nice guy. You've been compassionate. You have, you, you've not been rude in any way. You can say whatever you want. I won't be offended. I said, be careful. <laughs> and then I asked her a simple question. What qualifies you 
to stand in judgment of God. And she said, huh? What? I said, well, you're standing in judgment of God. You say he's doing nothing about torture in our world. And she's like, that's right. I said, okay, so that, that's what you said. He's not good because of that. You're right. And, and how could I love him because of that? You're right. I said, well, can I ask you a second question? She said, sure, absolutely. The first one wasn't bad. What are you doing about torture in our world? What are you doing? What are you doing right now to end torture in our world? And she said, uh, 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 I haven't seen it. I said, no, 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 ma'am. I said, yes, you have, because you told me that it's happening in Pinellas County. I said, you've seen it on the news. You have a car. You can drive to where it's at, and you can stop it. So you're standing in judgment of God and doing nothing. I said, and then you told me that God isn't doing anything, and I want to introduce you to a, an organization that is doing something. They're called A21 Campaign. We've been a partner with them for nine years, and every day, men, women, and children are being snatched out of sexual trafficking, human trafficking, and they're being set free, whether they're Christian or not, they're being set free, they're being rescued. I said, so I submit to you, God is doing something about it, you just don't see it. So again, it was that seeking to justify, you find yourself, and I say, well, what are you doing? By the same, Jesus said it, by the same measure you judge, so shall you be judged. So we find ourselves in this position. And the truth of the matter is, I told her about Jesus. I said, God did do something about uh, torture. His son went through torture. Amen. Jesus came so that that torture has an expiration date. And I told her about propitiation and expiation. The sins committed against us. We had no, nothing to do it. And Jesus took care of that for us. And I shared and let her know that God did do something and God is doing something. And my prayer and hope is that she'll turn and look at that. And we had such a great conversation. She asked me to hang out for a few more minutes. I was, on a, I was having a medical test and she said, could you hang out for just a couple more minutes? I said, why not? <laughs> but that's the kind of conversation you want to have. It was gentle and loving and kind, but it was the thing. And she said, no one's ever asked me that question. Sometimes you just got to be like Jesus and ask a, ask a question with a question. But let them speak first. Let them share their heart. Let them ask the question, who is my neighbor? Right? And the third thing, the lesson that you and I come to is we need a Savior. Keeping the whole law and hoping to save ourselves is impossible. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. Because on my best day, I'm not on my best behavior. I need Jesus in my life. Only he can change me. And so Jesus concludes this story of what it means to love a neighbor because Jesus actually lived this for you and me. You see, Jesus, he did the same for us. He didn't just pass you by. When he came upon you beaten and broken and hopeless and helpless, no, he got involved in your life. When others didn't want to. 
Jesus, when you were hopeless and helpless, he picked you up. And he, he, he put clothes on you. And he dressed your wounds and he healed you. He provided food and drink, not just for your body, but for your soul. He paid the price for you and me and said, let me leave a little something when I come back just in case. And then he prepared a dwelling place for us. And you can take Jesus up on his offer and receive that same life. I want to believe. I want to believe and I can't. I can't qualify it from the text because I don't know what happened to the man who was rescued. But I want to believe that he would do the same. I want to believe he'd do the same because it was done for him. Sometimes we live so far away from where God saved us, from that valley where we'd been beaten and robbed and broken and left naked and half dead. But if you could see where Jesus brought me from, right? From where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. Amen? If they could just see, just for a minute, a snapshot. I wish God could put it up on the screen. My brokenness. Just for a minute, then you would know why I love him so. Never forget what he did for you. And that will motivate you to do for others what you don't even believe you have the ability to do. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. And God, we don't just want to know your law. We don't just want to know the Bible. We want to live the Bible. We want to love We want to be that person with love and compassion. And God, it's not easy because we're human. And Lord knows there ain't one of us in this room that's perfect. But we are being perfected. And God, if you can help us take one step closer to being like the hero in that story. Just by doing what you asked us to do. Love you and love each other. If we can do that, God, all the law and the prophets hang on that. God, I pray you search our hearts and if there be any hate or any wickedness in it, that you would show it to us first and then show us how to get rid of it. I pray for everyone in the room today, God, if there's somebody here who wants to change their life, they, they ha- they're like that man, that victim in the story. They've been broken. And they feel hopeless and helpless. They feel naked and beaten and wounded and in desperate need. And if somebody doesn't help them, they're going to die. I pray, God, that they would willingly let you help them. Let you put healing touch on them. Let you Pick them up and turn them around. Let you pay the price for their sin. And let you put the hope of eternity in their hearts. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Mike, I'm like that guy laying on the side of the road, man, and I need Jesus. 
I know he brought me here today for this moment, for this time. If that's you, will you just slip your hand up high in the air today? Anybody says, that's me, yes. That's me, yes. That's me, yes. Thank you, yes. Yes, thank you. You guys may place your hands down. Everyone within the sound of my voice, we're just going to say this prayer from your heart to God's. We just simply speak from our, that's all prayer is, is just talking to your heavenly father and you just simply say, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus, I believe in you. And Jesus, I receive you. I am yours. You are mine. I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm being perfected. And so I put my hope in you my trust in you, and my faith in you. I receive the Holy Spirit, and I walk out of this place new in Jesus' name. And the church of Jesus Christ said, amen Amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? I do, I want to say welcome into the family of God. Also remember,